Welcome to At WCSU, the podcast that explains everything about Western Connecticut State University, whether you want to know it or not. <laughs> I'm Paul Steinmetz, and I'm here with engineer Pete Puccio. Hello. Who is usually running here from some fire he just put out, or he's running <laughs> to some fire he has to put out. What's the latest fire, Pete? Uh... No fires today. No fire alarms either for, no. for a change. I don't have to edit out any. Uh... No, I do. One of the segments had a fire alarm in it. So. <laughs> uh, no fires today. You were swearing about somebody over on the west side earlier. Though. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. Must have been somebody else. So our show today features Anthony Dieres, who is the director of the Master of Fine Art in Writing. He has some long title that I can't remember. Here he will uh, give that to you. Master of Fine Arts and Writing is really a unique program, or at least it was when it started. A lot of other universities are copying it now, but they still don't do it as well as we do it here at WestCon. We'll also hear from WestCon Provost, Dr. Missy Alexander, and Director of Library Services, Veronica Kanausis, talking about their areas. And of course, we'll have co-host Chantel Williams here with all the newsworthy campus events. Oh, I forgot to ask her about bingo. I was thinking about that, too. Yeah. We'll have to follow up. Okay. There must not have been something good happening because the, she would have brought it the up. The ongoing saga of Chantel at bingo. Yeah, losing at bingo. <laughs> too bad. Maybe next month. She has two more months. Or maybe three. So, let's get to Anthony Dieres. Um, yeah, so um, my name is Anthony Dieris, and I am an assistant professor in the writing department, and I'm also the coordinator of our Masters of Fine Arts in Creative and Professional Writing program. Uh, we're a unique program because we're a low residency program, which means that uh, throughout the year, our students are working independently with their mentors. And in January and August, we all get together on campus for sort of these intense a writing retreat, kind of a writing conference where we have guest writers from all over the country come, our faculty come to campus, and the students are essentially, you know, in workshops, panels, seminars, there's readings at night, um, and it's a really great way to not only kind of build the community for the new students coming in, but a way of maintaining the community um, over the course of the two, three, sometimes four years, students are in the program, depending if they're going full-time or part-time. Um, one of the reasons we have the program set up this way is because uh, a lot of our students are working either half-time or full-time. Um, some of them are coming back to uh, academia after taking a long break, having really you know fulfilling careers as journalists or teachers, uh, and now they're looking to you know, transition into a place where they're focusing more on their writing and uh, more on their creativity. Um, another thing that I hear a lot from students is that uh, we focus on both the creative genres and also the professional genres. So we have students who are horror novelists, but they're also grant writers. They're poets, but they're also copywriters. Uh, with the idea of, you know, we would all love to go on and, you know, uh, be full-time writers and get paid, you know, a livable salary for writing novels and collections of poetry, uh, but it doesn't happen for, you know, 99% of uh, writers out there. So we want to sort of foster versatile writers who can move from one genre to the next, who are, 
you know, comfortable teaching, but also writing in multiple genres with the idea of, you know, this is going to be um, kind of a, a varied and exciting career path that you go into after you graduate. And the idea is, you know, uh, once whatever organization or company you're working for found, finds out you're a good writer, uh, oftentimes they're going to tap into that and say, hey, can you work on this project? And it may be, you know, writing the website copy, but it might also be writing a grant. Um, so we want to make sure that our students are set up in a way that they can sustain their kind of independent creative life while also uh, managing uh, a career as a professional writer. And people write, come in and have a book in mind or often, or they come out with a book, right? Yeah, uh, sometimes either or, sometimes both. Um, we have students who, they come into the program, they know exactly what they want to do. They're you know halfway through a novel, they have a collection of essays that they've been working on. Um, and their main focus in the program is to polish that and then get it to a point where, you know, after they graduate, uh, they have a polished thesis that they could pitch to agents or um, begin, you know, sending around. Uh, some folks uh, know that they, you know, their interests are pretty varied. They don't fall necessarily into one genre. So they'll um, they'll come to us and say, you know, I, I have some poems that I've written, I have essays, I've kind of had this, you know, varied career as a writer, and I really want to start to focus in on, you know, one or two genres that I'm really passionate about. Um, so we've had some students who have, by the end of the time in the program, they put together more of a, a portfolio or a, a sort of a compilation of different genres uh, for their thesis. That's kind of like the main goal. And then um, while they're here, they do an internship or they could get some teaching experience either uh, in a university setting um, or uh, maybe tutoring in the writing center or um, some students have established their own workshops uh, out in the community at libraries or um, shelters, things like that, um, which I think is also a big part of our philosophy in the program is what are ways that we can sort of embed writers in the community to uh, offer the kind of workshops and education that, you know, um, certain organizations or communities um, that are underfunded can't provide for themselves. Um, so we think about ways that our students can become literary citizens and how they, um, as they move through the program, they begin more and more to identify themselves as writers and feel confident about saying that. Um, and it's not something that, you know, oh, I just do that at home or that's sort of on the side. It's very much becomes, you know, part of the forefront of their life and their identity. Yeah. I once thought I would be a famous writer. <laughs> and, we all do. <laughs> yeah. And I now uh, get a lot of satisfaction out of being able to be creative in my work. I'm a, a full-time writer, basically, mm -hmm. more or less. But it's always part of what I do every day, right? And I feel some days are more creative than others, but um, I get uh, satisfaction out of that, being able to express myself in writing in ways that other people can't. Yep, absolutely. And I think, you know, a, a lot of students come into the program still with that kind of traditional vision of what a writer is. You know, it's someone who is off in isolation and is, um, you know, perhaps a little eccentric and doesn't, you know, um, 
necessarily work well with others. Mm -hmm. And I think very quickly that kind of stereotype is broken down in the program and there is no one type of writer. And we, it's one of the reasons why we require students to kind of push themselves outside of their, you know, comfortable genre because we want them to, you know, get a, get a taste for things that they necessarily haven't tried on their own or um, maybe thought because they've been writing a memoir for five years that um, they can't move into crime fiction or, um, you know, any of the other genres that we offer. So I think that's something, too, that um, because all of our students are in workshops together, there's never any kind of segregation of the genres. And so there's not kind of like, all right, poets are over here and novelists are over there. We're all learning from each other, and all kind of feeding off each other. I think that kind of speaks to what you were saying about, you know, you never know what kind of writing you're going to be doing once you move through your career. So um, I think it helps students figure out, okay, what is what is the purpose of this piece of writing? Who's the kind of audience that I'm looking to reach and how do I do that? Um, and how do I not get hung up in this is this is the way I write and this is the genre that I write in? And I think a lot of MFA programs are pretty strict with the way that um, they handle genres. And um, some are not as open to uh, you know, what we call genre fiction, you know, uh, crime or uh, romance or thrillers or mysteries, things like that, because um, they may not be uh, traditionally considered, quote unquote, literary. And for me and for, you know, kind of the foundation of the program, it's... Uh, there's no hierarchy with the genres. So, you know, you're first and foremost a writer. How can we help you achieve what you want to achieve? But how can we introduce you to some stuff that you might not be finding on your own? Mm -hmm. And if you want to be, how do you be make a living being a writer? Right. right. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing, too. I mean, we're the mentors and the uh, alumni are very open and candid. Uh, so there's never any kind of caginess or mystery around how writers develop their careers. You know, sometimes you go to conferences or workshops and sort of the nitty gritty about how much of an advance can you expect on a book and how much should you be asking for freelance writing, things like that. Uh, they don't really cover it. But in our work, in our program, you know, there's always a workshop or two at residencies that kind of get into the nuts and bolts of it. And we want our students to be able to be prepared for those questions and feel confident answering those questions when they move beyond the program. So it's not you know, so um, it's not solely focused on the creation of the work, but also then how do you market it and what can you expect around that? And, you know, so that you, they have this kind of wide range of skills when they get out that they know how to talk about their work, how to sell their work, um, and obviously how to keep creating it. Right. And you have people who go into PR, communications, um, some different kinds of writing that mm -hmm. They can make a living at, yeah, and probably do some more fiction or whatever on the side, mm -hmm. right? Right. And you have people who have published books out of your program. Yeah, uh, we did a recent survey, and eighty-seven percent of our graduates have gone on to either publish books or work as full-time writers, uh, sometimes both. Um, and I think that's because they have exposure to many different types of writing. So. Um, you know, if they were to go into our program 
and exclusively work on a novel, and then the novel didn't get published, or you know they mm -hmm. kind of changed directions with it, um, it might be harder to switch into something else. But um, knowing that they're going to have to juggle multiple projects for you know for the rest of their life, if yeah. they want to continue as writers, is is kind of good to let them know that early. Mm -hmm. You know, is there a general message you give to people who want to write novels about? Um, how to go about it. I mean, everybody has ideas, I guess. Um, uh, but creating something that other people are really going to read or mm -hmm. want to read is so much different, right? Yeah. I mean, I think what happens when students – well, it's kind of two things. When students start in our program, they're they they feel connected with a larger writing community, so they feel supported. Mm -hmm. Um so that's important. And then they also feel um, held responsible and kind of now they have this obligation in terms of deadlines that they may not have had around their creative work. So they're taking it more seriously. They're approaching it more as a job than as kind of this side hobby. Uh, and then while they're in the program, we have writers who are very serious about the way that they outline their work or they um, – how they kind of plot their novel as they move through it. And then we have other writers who, you know, kind of do it by the seat of their pants. And then uh, revision is a big part of it, too. So they think about how, you know, how are you going to revise it now? How are you going to ask questions um, as best as you can kind of objectively about your own work? So I think some of that comes from when students are we have an online workshop that all the students are in during the course of the semester, and they're constantly exchanging work, and they're reading each other's drafts and providing comments. So they get this kind of intensive one-on-one -on -one experience with their mentors, but then they still have that kind of group community during the semester. So I think all of that helps them understand, okay, is this work doing what I hope it would do? Um, what are the points of confusion? You know, I often tell students if there's six people in the workshop and they're all agreeing that this section is a little confusing or they don't understand why the character is doing this or that, then that might be something you want to take a look at. So, And then, again, that's another thing that just helps them prepare for you know, the various feedback they're going to get on their work once they leave the program. Because mm -hmm. um, if you're sending your work out to you know, 20, 30 agents or a handful of different editors are reading your work, you're going to get conflicting advice, and then what do you do with that? You know, how do... How do you have the confidence to then make those decisions on your own about what's going to be revised and what's not? Um, and the you have people in creative nonfiction too, mm -hmm. so uh, which is the reporting as well as the uh, writing. Right. Yep. Um, and you know we'll have students who have worked as journalists and then they come into the program and might want to work on a memoir or mm -hmm. a. Um, some kind of hybrid form of creative nonfiction where it's part true crime, part memoir. Um, so it's, like you said, very kind of research heavy. And But they're also doing something different where their own sort of subjective perspective matters in a way that it might not have in mm -hmm. a you know, traditional newspaper where they, they, that's kind of not part of it, right? right. It's, it's more about objective reporting. So, um, yeah, I think... No matter you – know, I hear this a lot from students where they say, I thought I was a writer before I came into the program, and now I realize that I was, but now I've kind of expanded or um, I've grown more than I thought I needed to hmm. or even had to. Um, and I think that 
comes from now they have the space to work on something that maybe they didn't when they were, you know, working 50, 60 hours as a journalist or teaching, you know, high school English full time, mm-hmm. things like that. So, I mean, really, one of the, one of my biggest uh, sort of mottos for the program is like we can make it happen, like whatever you're interested in, whatever type of experience you want to get, we can make it happen, which is exciting for me as the coordinator because the program is always evolving based on what the students' interests are. So we had some students who really wanted to work as sort of the first reader for um, a literary agents. We've been able to like reach out to literary agencies and say, hey, do you need an intern? Do you need somebody who can kind of help you manage all the queries that you're getting? Um, we've had some students who... You know, they want to put on a production of a play with, you know, teenagers. So they've, you know, developed a workshop and kind of, you know, um, at their local theater and, you know, invited in a bunch of uh, high school and middle school students to kind of make that production happen, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's really exciting to see because there's no, um, you know, the curriculum is never, never static. Right. You know? So there's this sense that, okay, here are the requirements that you need to fulfill. Here's sort of the general framework, but this is going to be your individualized program. Um, and how can we make that happen? Mm-hmm. And so I advise all the students and it's, it's really great because I may not work with them one-on-one in a, in a particular class, but meeting with them and talking about their interests and seeing how they're making uh, kind of connections between different experiences and different skills is really exciting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. This is a little off the subject, but I want to see if you have any uh, special insight into um, successful writers. Somebody I'm reading a lot lately is Louise Penny, who's a crime, a fictional crime writer. Mm. And um, I love her work, but she was nothing before. She was, um, you know, not in a writing. She was some um, and she decided to write a novel. Nobody liked it. So she said, hey, maybe I'll do crime fictional crime so yeah. she made up these characters they're fascinating she's um, uh it's even the crime itself isn't is kind of a secondary um story to the people's lives that she's writing about yeah but how come she can do that and i haven't or you know <laughs> i just don't get that how did she blossom into this thing that's so famous and successful and out of nowhere yeah yeah, it's hard because, you know, as much as um, we try to prepare students for, you know, all the kind of twists and turns that their career can take, there's still, you know, these these handful of writers that are kind of these celebrities that we feel like, yeah, how, how can we do that? Um, and, you know, I, th- I think partly what we'll say to students is, you know, it, it's about perseverance. It's about... Um, approaching it as a job at times. Um, It's about kind of making connections with the visiting writers and editors and agents that come to our residencies. And then it's it's also about, you know, how can you in in some way kind of compartmentalize the the actual creation of the work and then the selling of the work. Mm. Um, And to realize that the selling of the work is a lot of times much more subjective and random and, you know, a a lot to do with luck and timing and how, you know, the connections that you make and things like that. So, um, you know, we've had students who have come out of the program, you know, already with, you know, a two book deal secured. And 
Um, and, you know, a, a lot of other students are kind of starstruck by those students that when, the, when that happens. But I think at the same time, um, because our community is so supportive and there's no kind of it's not cutthroat or there's no it's not ego driven that what other students ultimately take away from another student's success is, wow, it's possible that I can do that, too. Mm-hmm. Right. It kind of demystifies it. So and I think they're also heartened to see that just because that happened, that writer is not now, you know, living in a mansion and is, you know, right. kind of coasting the rest of the time. Like they're still still working very hard. So um, I think more and more when they meet writers who they may have seen as kind of these celebrities or these like untouchable people, or even just by reaching, I always encourage students to reach out to writers mm. that they admire. And a lot of times the writers write back, you know, I think, again, kind of going back to that idea of what our traditional understanding of a successful writer is, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, I don't think it really exists in the way that it used to where, um, you know, writers had this kind of like celebrity status. I don't, for the most part, they don't anymore. It's more of um, how are they piecing together different things? Mm-hmm. And writing a book is very much one part of their life. Um, uh, traditionally, it's been kind of teaching and writing, but, you know, there's also, there's other ways to do it. So I think kind of demystifying that and getting students to move away from this kind of vague goal of all I want to do is write full time for the rest of my life. Um, I think it's a, the stakes are too high, I think, mm-hmm. for especially someone who's in an MFA program to be focused solely on that, you know, because um, as you said, things change. You don't know. If, books don't sell. You know, you hear those stories about the third or fourth book being the one that sells. So um, I think you know, perseverance and, and, and again, demystifying that, that kind of glorified version of, a, of what a writer is. Yeah. So if somebody wants to get into the program, the MFA writing program, what do they do? Um, so all of our information is up on our website. Um, they would apply. We, we, we take applications year-round. Um, and essentially, it's, um, a writing sample is the most important part. Mm-hmm. Um, and each applicant uh, has an interview with me, so I get to talk to the writer and, and get a sense of what he or she is interested in and, and what they want to get out of the program. Um, and I also, you know, it's a good opportunity for me to get a sense of the students that are applying. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, we're pretty much open all the time for, for applicants. Um, and one of the best ways that, you know, a prospective student can get a feel for the program is to sit in on one of our residencies mm-hmm. and really see see things in action and meet our faculty. So I'm always encouraging students to do that. Um, so we've had, um, you know, students come to either our January or August residency and just get a feel for things. Um, the other thing that we've done recently is we've started a uh, residency, an optional residency in Dublin, where students um, who are interested in getting some international experience can uh, apply to that. You don't even have to be a, a Westcon student. Anybody can apply. It's open to the public. Hmm. And if you get accepted, you come to Dublin for a week. Uh, we have writing workshops in Oscar Wilde's historic home, hmm. and then we attend the Bram Stoker Festival, which is this big literary festival that, you know, obviously includes Bram Stoker's work, but it kind of spans all uh, all genres, and it's it's a great way to kind of see see Dublin. 
Um, but for students who are not enrolled in the program, um, you can, if you decide to apply to the MFA program after attending the Dublin residency, you could use that residency as uh, credit towards your degree. Mm. So that's been a good uh, recruitment tool so yeah, far. No good, yeah. So there's a lot of excitement. This is a really fun time to be involved in the program. It's growing a lot. And, um, you know, the, the students are working on some really interesting things. So it's it's a good time for the program. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming in. And when you publish your book, we'll bring you in again. Sure. Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> thanks. Thank you. Students love the idea of grading their professors until it comes to actually filling out the survey. Some of them say everything was wonderful. A few might hate everything about the teacher in the class. In today's segment of the provost's office, Dr. Missy Alexander examines alternatives that might provide a path to better work. So teaching evaluations are an interesting part of the higher education rit rituals. Right? Um, I think they come out of a lot of different moments in the history of education. Some of them are very consumer driven, which is, you know, I want to give my feedback because I paid for this course and therefore. Some of them are more developmentally minded uh, in sort of if I get this feedback, then I might be able to reshape the course in some way or at least know uh, where I've gone wrong. In some cases, that developmental thing, though, gets skewed uh, in two ways. One, it's part of people's applications for tenure, so there's some pressure on it. And there's well-documented bias, okay, nationally documented. This is not a WCSU problem. This is a nationwide issue that women are graded differently from men overall. And of course, people of color face a different variable than Caucasians. And uh, people who speak a language other than English as their first language have a different hurdle. So all of these things play into something that should be a wonderful thing. And instead, it's not. It's just not. I'm not that's all there is to it, you know. And I think about this a lot because we do need tools for evaluation of faculty. But I'm not sure this is the right one. However, student feedback is very important. So to gather feedback in a way that's better than I think our current model is to not ask for ratings, but for reflection. And so I would construct uh, a feedback instrument that starts sort of like this, you know, what was most interesting or most important in this class? And tell me why, right? Now, I would construct some answers to the why because I think people don't always have an ability to construct that right away. So things like, you know, it gave me a good foundation for another class or it connected to some other classes that were interesting or just helped me see things from another perspective and then give them room to elaborate. Those prompts, I think, will help them. But it will also set up the evaluation of the class or the feedback to the class in a way that just starts with, you know, what did I learn, right? Instead of saying, was this good? Was this good? Was this good? You know, just at what did I learn? And give a, a person a chance. Because sometimes when you stop to do that, you realize, oh, I did, right? When you're, you're just slogging towards that final exam, you may not see that. But if you take that pause, right? 
But also the faculty member then says, oh, okay, these are the things that they're taking away. And sometimes students are taking away things you had no idea. You know, that that's what they thought your class was about, right? Or things that are really good that you'd like to continue to do. So that's one thing. So I think it's also important to ask them what was least interesting or least informative. And the reason I think that's important is because it allows you to uh, discover the level at which you've pitched your class, right? Um, so sometimes, because we don't know what students are carrying over from the class before, we may start with a real refresher, and it may turn out most of them didn't need it, right? Or you may see that they've identified things as unimportant that you thought were essential, in which case you might want to rethink how you're framing it, right? You know, why is it essential? What is, why is this in this class? So it's good, it's good feedback. It'll help you be a better professor in, in the future, perhaps, or at least respond to what students might be missing. Then you can ask them larger context questions, like how does this course compare to the, your other course experiences? You know, and that's where we get into, we usually ask, is this harder, is this easier, et cetera. But don't ask all those things. Don't, don't give them a scale to start with. Just say, well, so how does it compare? You know, is it more informative? Did you, did you learn a lot? Did you find that interesting? Just get, let them give you honest, an honest uh, response on that. Then I would ask a question about structures of assignments, you know, considering all of the ways in which uh, you've been able to get feedback this semester. And that's how I think of fi uh, assignments, by the way. That's an important element. Assignments are opportunities for feedback to the professor, what are the students getting, and feedback to the student, are you getting the important things? So I consider that a feedback loop, not necessarily a grading opportunity, although it is, but really a feedback loop. So ask them, you know, how did they go? Did the quizzes help me know? Did the essays help me learn? Did, the, did I get enough opportunities to do this to improve my performance, right? And that's also important for a professor to know, you know, maybe they can trim some down. Maybe they can add some in. Maybe they can regroup them. I think we, a lot of us do this informally anyway. We look at the exams and we try to retool them each time, but just ask. It might help you retool them even more, right? Um, and then you could ask a question about the organizational structure, right? So instead of we have now, you know, was, was the professor organized? That's a terrible question, right? But you know, the way the material organized it, it makes sense to me, you know, or the way that we paste the assignments. Could I manage it, you know? And sometimes some students will say no and some will say yes, and that's just the reality. But if everybody's saying to you, you know, having this and then this and then this was too much, but if it were spread out this way, it would be easier, that's just good to know, right? Remember, we're so immersed in our disciplines that we sometimes don't know what's hard. And so that feedback is very important. And then, do you have any suggestions, right? Simple questions. So doing this is, takes it out of the sort of scale, the ranking scale, and makes it a little less about are you good or bad and more about how do we develop a better course, right? And that's not a statement like your course isn't good in the first place, but any teacher that I know, every teacher that I know, is always doing some minor revisions every year. Some are doing major, some are doing minor, because we always notice where we didn't succeed with or get to where we wanted to go with the students. And so having them give us a little genuine uh, reflection on that is important. Now the downside of this model might be that we don't have an evaluation scale for tenure. 
But I don't think that's really that important. And here's why. I think that if to go with this, because I'm also advocating that I never see these, right? I'm saying I don't need to see these. I think I don't even think most anybody needs to see them but the professor. You know, there may be some argument for some chair conversation at some point, uh, maybe going over them together at some point. But I think they're really for you. But I would love to see you reflect on them in the information you give to me or your chair or your evaluation committees, right? That will let me know that you have a good process, right? And I see that now, that's the best use of the, of the evaluations now, but this just takes some of that other stuff out of it, unless you use it genuinely. You know, all of the students thought it was too fast, so I'm slowing down. Or this, you know, uh, assignment I thought was critical turns out to be awful, so I'm doing this instead. That's a great application for tenure as far as I'm concerned. And I do trust, assuming that you do it, that peer observations from your department will tell enough of the story. So I don't think we really have to hold on to this bullet list or this, this kind of scale. I think if we used it as actual feedback, we could take out all of the bias problem because it's not being evaluated that way and use it as the developmental tool it needs to be while still giving all sorts of empowerment to student feedback. We're trying to dispel the notion that the library is a stodgy old place. When you hear Veronica Knausis talk about it, you'll know it's not stodgy anymore. And she's going to bring us up to date on some great exhibits that they have here right now on campus. So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, events and exhibits in the Haas and the Young Libraries. Um, we have some ongoing ones and some special exhibits. Um, so I thought I'd just highlight them and then encourage people to stop in when they have a, a moment to take a look at those. And, and there's always something new going on. So to you know come by as often as possible and see what's happening. We also have, for the whole semester going on, a New York City exhibit that um, some of our adjunct librarians created. Um, it's a really fascinating exhibit. It has books about different aspects of New York City. There's a trivia game. Um, there are bookmarks with iconic New York movies. There's a handout of a uh, hundred plus things to do in New York, um, and plus there is a weekly raffle um, for a $5 gift card to Einstein. So just take a look at the exhibit and then um, submit a raffle entry, and maybe you'll win a $5 gift card to Einstein Bagels, which is super fun. Um, but it's really a fascinating exhibit. New York is such a big part of our um draw here at Westcon, and I don't think enough people spend enough time going there. It's super close by, and um, there's so many things to do, and there's a whole list of um, inexpensive things to do in New York, too, because I think people, New York gets the reputation that's very, very expensive, and you can, you can do some really inexpensive things in New York as well. So that's um, right as soon as you walk into the Haas Library on the left-hand side, you'll see a big New York City exhibit. And the really nice thing about this one is it was a collaboration with um, Liz Popiel, Dr. Popiel, who is in the um, theater arts department. She and some of her students created sets almost for it. So there's an Eiffel Tower and – not an Eiffel Tower, Veronica. <laughs> Can we cut that? <laughs> 
No, we don't have to leave that in. All right, <laughs> leave it in. Uh, what's that big building in New York that everybody knows about? The Empire State the Building. The Empire State Building. There you go. Um, and then uh, and some really interesting subway um, memorabilia there, too. So um, that was a great – all that was a great collaboration. Um, also, when you walk into the library, another exhibit, permanent exhibit, um, that sometimes kind of people or students at least – gloss over is that we have a huge cabinet of all of the publications that faculty members have authored here at Western Connecticut. So um, it's a really interesting, when you when you stop and really look at it, it's an interesting mix of topics and um, approaches to problems and issues. And um, I think it's just a really good reminder of the quality of the faculty members that we have here at WestCon um, and seeing what they're interested in, seeing what they uh, have pu- produced um, in terms of publications is also super fascinating. So that's all right before you get to the New York City exhibit, you'll see a glass glass fronted case that has all of those um, those publications in there. Um, another exhibit that we're doing right now um, comes from the archives. Um, and just a quick as I know we've talked about archives before on here, but archives contains um, special collections from the community, but also the history of the the university, um, and it's located in the lower level of the Haas Library. But right now, there is a suffrage exhibit on the first floor of Haas Library of materials that came out of the archives. Suffrage is the women's right to vote. Um, and we this year are celebrating 100 years of um, women gaining the right to vote in 1920. Um, but what is fascinating about this particular exhibit is um, Connecticut actually passed a law um, in 1893 allowing women to vote in local elections like school board elections and, and city um, and town elections. Um, and so we have a great exhibit about kind of women who are at the vanguard of voting in Danbury. Um, what they did, many of them were hatters, because Danbury is the hatting city. Um, many of them were hatters or worked in those industries. Um, some of them were doctors. Some of them, it was. it's a fascinating exhibit about the history of women um, in Danbury and um, how they were sort of at the forefront of, of the right to vote and exercising their right to vote. Um, so that's super interesting. Uh, it's just some artifacts that came out of um, some student work that was done out down in the archives. Um, we have a, a we always in both libraries are having art exhibits. So there's an art wall um, on the first floor of the Haas Library behind the glass elevator, and there is an art wall as soon as you walk into the Young Library on the West Side campus on your left. Um, and they're rotating exhibits uh, right now in Haas. We have a Blue Note exhibit, um, and I don't know what's coming next, but it's really um, a fun exhibit to kind of just look around. Um, and last, one of the ongoing things that we're doing this semester, well, we are uh, hosting this semester, is um, a service called Let's Talk, and it's from the Counseling Center. Um, and they are coming into the library every Tuesday from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. To, um, to be available for drop-in counseling sessions. You don't need an appointment. It's in a closed environment, so you can go into a room and be private and confidential. Um, But we're hoping that students will, um, 
who are in the library anyway will see this. Um, there is a lot of anxiety um, that we're that everybody is concerned about, but um, we're very very happy to be hosting this weekly drop-in session so students feel like they have a place to be, a place to go, and somebody to talk to if they're in a crisis situation or they have concerns or they just want to um, explore something a little bit. Whether or not they need to to go further than that, we don't know. So um, they're all with our our uh, our faculty counselors, so um, they're professionals um, and again confidential and um, quiet so so we're happy to be hosting um, the counseling center in the Haas library for the whole semester Tuesdays from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. and that's what's going on and now recorded live from the basement of and now, recorded live in the basement of White Hall, Chantel Williams. Hi. Hi, how are you <laughs> I'm today? well. I'm doing well. It's actually pretty nice outside. It is nice. Yeah. Just it's going to little... stay that way the rest of the winter and oh, then be good all spring, too. <laughs> oh, good. Yes, I, I'm hoping that as well. <laughs> yeah. so. We won't get any days off because of it, but otherwise it's good. I mean, it's it's okay. I mean, I guess it's good for the elementary school kids, you know, so they don't have to, like, be extended until summer <laughs> and high school seniors too yes. because their graduation gets pushed yes. back oh my god that was the worst for me i mean thank god that year we didn't have it bad but the year before they mm -hmm. were in there forever it kept getting pushed back and i felt so bad for them sometimes they have the graduation and then say to the seniors oh come just back. come back the last few days <laughs> like no no that's never gonna happen yeah <laughs> they have to say it they know it's not thank god it doesn't happen here it's like one set date and that's, that's it right. you're done <laughs> yeah so that's a good thing. So, Chantel, you had an effect on administration policy here, right? I did. Yeah. I did. So, I, as I previously talked about in the um, podcast last week, um, I was a part of a focus group for the WOW um, with Birta. Which is what's on at WestCon. Yes, what's on at WestCon. Yeah, and it's an email, a blast email that all students and faculty get, and it's with the events and um, fundraisers and everything. Basically, ooh, my voice. Everything that's basically going on with WCSU. So, um, we're with this focus group. They wanted to see what is more of an approachable way for students, um, so that they can actually read it. Um, and so we gave like a few suggestions, and we came up with the idea of a flyer. And so I don't know if you guys have noticed, but you should have got a blast um, for the wow that said, um, you know, what's what what's ha what's, is it what ha it's happening? What's on, or at, what's West on at WestCon? And it it's a new look. So it was kind of like a gateway to like a new thing. And so it's a nice poster. Um, I believe the colors are like blue. Um, and it was a little bit of a background of like a rainbow where it says like the wow. Um, and then it has like like basically like the top 10 events that's happening this week and the next upcoming week. Um, so whatever clubs got it into uh, Beer to First and, you know, wanted to broadcast there on the page. So it's really nice. It's a really nice setup. And the first thing I did was to get a screenshot of it because it's just easier for me that way. So mm -hmm. I have all of my information access like right there. And so I can post it on Instagram. I can post it on Facebook. And then everyone else can take a screenshot. And then it just spreads like wildfire from there. So... I think it's a really good look. I don't yeah. know. I think it's really good. Um, I'm going to ask some of my friends to see how they, you know, they like it and if um, they if they notice it. Because I think a lot of more, from what I can hear, I feel like a lot of more people, like, realize, like, oh, what's this? They kind of thought it was something new. Mm -hmm. But I had to tell them, like, no, it's been there. It's just a new look. So, um, yeah. So, I think, it, I think it's good. Yeah. Getting yeah. more attention. And yes. uh, did you tell your friends that you're the one who 
No, I didn't. No, I didn't brag. No, <laughs> I didn't want to do that. I just said, you know, um, I was a. I told them that I was a part of a group and that we wanted to see a new look, and so I'm glad. You know, it was able to make it happen and just was a part of it. And hopefully, you know, we get like um, positive feedback and they can continue doing this because I feel like this is really like it's eye catching. It really pops, and um, yeah, I can just click save it and i have all the information right there so i feel like that's important that's um, good so i think i think it's it's gonna stick and if we want more information the link is there also so that you can click or you can go on the wcsu app and then more details and more information about events um are on that page as well kind that's of like right. the old layout so we want people to use that app right definitely definitely yeah so <laughs> you were part of another group you weren't actually at the meeting we had last week but we you're part of the group about um Spreading the word on campus yes. about during emergencies, especially. Yes, yes, right? yes, yes. And that meeting went really well. Great. Like, uh, you probably know that whenever there's some something bad happens, I get criticized heavily <laughs> because uh, for not spreading the word enough or mm-hmm. letting people know quickly enough. So this is a way to help um, make sure more people know more quickly right. what's happening. Yes. And have student leaders help communicate what's going on, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. So that should be good, right? I think so. And I think as we get started on that more, you know, hopefully there isn't an incident. But, like, even with just um, if there's something going on that we want students to be aware of, like the flu or anything mm-hmm. like that, we'll be able to get that out there um, to students. So, right. yeah. So I think it's. I think as we go along, we're going to see just how helpful this um, committee is as well. Um, and just to see, like, the partnership between faculty and students and us coming together and really, like, hearing each other out. Um, I think that's the biggest takeaway from this is that, you know, students were able to... Some students felt like they were finally able to be heard, and then, you know, there's a process to it and that we're actually, like, you know, doing something. So I think that's one of the big positives that came out of this is just to show that faculty and students can communicate with each other and we can both hear each other Mm -hmm. out, you know, and... um, yeah, and make WCSU better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we're not butting heads. <laughs> we're right. not like, you know, so we're continuous learners. Yes, yes, yes. So I think that's a that's a positive thing. I think we're in a we're in a positive direction we're heading towards, you know. So Of course then you're graduating in three months and we'll have to find somebody else to I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know that I gotta start over at a whole nother place. So right. it's just like so I'll take my talents over there. You know, I'll take my talents somewhere. That's right. Maybe <laughs> you know, you'll continue start a podcast on. there. Yeah. You'll be on the emergency team. <laughs> right. They're gonna be like, Well what the they're like you just got here. I know, yeah, but I'm just trying <laughs> but to like, you have experience. get started, right? right. <laughs> but yeah, somebody will continue in uh, my footsteps and take it even further and um just continue it on. I think it would be a great thing. I think when I come back i'm gonna be a little confused with all the changes that are happening so like <laughs> not only about the appearance of wcsu but just with all of like the committees and stuff and i can't wait to come back to see them just prosper and be like hey i remember when like you know it was first getting started it was first getting up off its feet and then now it's just like a regular right. you know thing people are not gonna remember well they're gonna remember but not gonna remember when it wasn't a thing mm-hmm. so i think that um that's gonna be exciting yeah, yeah. it will be good yeah. <laughs> so i'm excited <laughs> And you have some events for us this weekend. Yes, of course, of course. There's a whole bunch of <laughs> events going on. So the first event is this. I, ha- I got a nice little flyer in the hallway as I was, oh, yeah. like, heading down here. And it's the Carry a Love event. Um, every year, I believe for the past two years, they had this event. And it's, like, a faith-based event. But you don't have to have a specific religion. You don't have to believe in order to... Um, be a part of this event it's a great event um and it's called carry the love so it's all about spreading love and everyone is welcome and it's happening thursday february 20th at 7 p.m um in ives concert hall and so um bring your friends and bring everybody and it's just a nice little 
it's not really, really structured. It's just kind of like it's not a free for all. Like everybody's not jumping all over the place, but it's mm. not like so structured that you're going to be sitting and stuff like that. You're going to be like interacting and things and meet um, different people and everyone based off the group that I saw upstairs with that were handing out these flyers. They're really nice. They're really warm and welcoming mm. and you can basically talk to them about anything. Um, and so there will be praying going on and things like that. If you feel uncomfortable, it's okay. You don't have to, you know, partake in that, but um, it's open to everyone. So I think, I think that's awesome. I'm a Christian myself. So mm. I like to, you know, see things like that. And just um, and I think that the message is in the title just to carry the love, just, you know, no matter what you believe, just to to carry the love throughout. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a that's going to be a nice event. So, again, it's February the 20th, Thursday, um, 7 p.m. Eyes Concert Hall. And um, and that's on Midtown Campus. And yeah, it's. It's free, so you don't have to worry about anything. Um, it doesn't have a time on the flyer, but I believe it's officially going to start at like six, and then it goes all the way to eleven. It's a long, mm. it's kind of long. Um, so, but it's a good event. Um, and Daryl won last year. Prizes too? I don't think there's any prize giveaways, but th- there's food. So I mean, <laughs> you know, we always love food. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that yeah, I think they get a the big food. crowd. Then. Yeah, I think they're gonna get a good good crowd. So um, I think that's yeah, I think they're gonna get a good crowd. I know last year they got one before it was in the ballroom, hmm. um, and I know this year they're doing um, classes after the next like the next day, so Saturday. Or is it Friday? No, Friday the 21st, they're going to do, like, classes, and it's kind of just to talk about the experience um, and just dissect everything that went on. If there was, like, any questions, if there's any topic that they wanted to talk about pertaining to what um, was going on, then you can. So it was just, like, so that I know they're doing that this year. I don't know if they did it, were able to do it last year, but I know they were getting a lot of, like, feedback saying, oh, I wish we could talk about it, you know, in a setting like this. So Mm. I think this year they made it happen and uh, have it. That's good. Yeah, so I think it's going to be really good. I think it's going to be fun. Um, And it's just, like, a nice stress-free, like, event. Like, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's nice. So bring, come out and bring your friends and everything. And, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be nice. So So we have a lot, a couple more events. Um, Okay, so February the 22nd, men's lacrosse um, is having a game. I haven't been to a lacrosse game since... I don't think Honestly, I don't think I've ever been to a lacrosse game. <laughs> yeah, know, Not I, just here, but like in high school. I don't even think I, I ever went to a lacrosse game. And I it's think actually, a lot of people can say that. Yeah, but it's, like, it's funny because I just remember I was exposed to it through gym class because I really didn't know like what like lacrosse was. And then mm-hmm. they just gave us these sticks and they were like... Oh, you can kind of like chug people, but you can't really chug people. And then you have to constantly keep it in motion. So I was like, what in the world? And you got to keep the ball in there and you got to toss it. I was just like, what is this? What kind of game is this? <laughs> but um, it was fun to play. So when I got exposed to it, I was like, oh, this is actually like a really fun game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this is actually pretty cool. And it's nice that, you know, I get to see it. So when I was playing it, it was actually fun. So I'm surprised I haven't been to it like an actual game. But um, I heard the a men's lacrosse team here is really good so um i think that would be a good game to go to so again that's um february the 22nd and that's saturday and their game starts at 1 p.m and it is a home game it's going to be at western athletic complex um i don't have the address to that it's on the west side side, right it's in the in the okay so yeah okay so they're okay so that's just the updated name because yes a sophisticated name (laughs) (laughs) i just say like the football stadium so like but okay the western athletic complex so i think it's going to be a a good game Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i think yeah and i 
not sure. Is there a women's lacrosse team? Yes. There is, right? Yeah. I'm not sure if they play in the winter, though, or if they no. play the same season. Yeah, because um, usually I think I'm so used to seeing, like, for basketball, like, men and women right. on the same day. But right now it's just saying, like, the men's lacrosse. So I was just wondering. But, yeah. Pete usually jumps in here and gives us the same answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I got to look it up. Hang on. <laughs> Okay, tonight there's going to be, February the 19th, there's going to be a Mardi Gras dinner um, in the Student Center um, restaurant for, yeah, 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Were you able to go to the Valentine one? No, I forgot all about it. Oh, they had, it was really nice. Hmm. Um, It was really set up. It was nicely set up. It was decorated and everything. It was a good time. Um, And it had some great food. And I think they had a a good um, turnout as well. So you you went? I went for a little bit, yes. So it was good. It was good. It was a nice time. So, and then I went. And so I, t- I was able to talk to somebody from Sodexo about um, getting more events and getting more um, involvement down in the Colonial Corner to get more attraction down there. So for those of you who don't know what the Colonial Corner is, it's um, located on Me- Midtown. Um, and it's like, how would I describe it? Under the Student Center? Yeah. Um, that little area. You probably saw it, but like not really, you didn't really notice it that much, but um, it's a great spot to for commuters, not only commuters, but you know, um, resident students, but of course commuters who just want a place to like eat and relax and um, do homework maybe. You know, the, the micro market is down there as well, so you can always purchase food. So we're just trying to get more um, students and things involved down there, so we're gonna be um, having a lot more events. Um, the stuff of plush was down there, so we're gonna and the Valentine's Day w- event was down there, so we're just gonna start to have more events um, to attract that space because it's a great space, it's a great lounge area, mm-hmm. um, and we want to make sure that we're utilizing it, you know, and especially during the um, when the weather gets really warm, it's it's actually really nice because they open up the doors. I remember, I think it was last year they had like the DJ in front. And it was for commuter student appreciation. Yeah, and they had, like, the whole day. Yeah, and they had, like, food, the DJ, um, and then, yeah, and then it was just attracting students down there to that area. And then you can sit outside, of course, once the weather gets mm-hmm. nice um, in front of it. So, yeah, I, we, we're tra- talking about, you know, hosting events. So I know we're talking about for my club to have some event down there um, and then some other clubs to get involved down there. So just make sure we're utilizing all of WCSU, all of right. this hidden treasures (laughs) as i like to say so yeah i think that um yeah i think it was a oh i was speaking with was it elena i can't remember but yeah yeah, but it was um it was a good event and so look forward to seeing more events down here and i like when the student center does like its theme events Mm because it's always like it's not just the food but it's the decorations and then it's kind of like a historical context with it as well because they always have a description of like the food and um, what you're eating and where it comes from. Yeah, it is good. Yeah, so I think, you know, I think we kind of don't take advantage of it mm-hmm. as much. We don't appreciate it as much, but I feel like we should start because you don't get that in a lot of places. So no, I think that's why we talk about it on the podcast. Yes, because it's important and we want to bring light to it. That's right. <laughs> Pete wants to talk about lacrosse here. Breaking news. Uh, yeah, women's lacrosse uh, starts their season Saturday, February 29th at Manhattanville. Oh, yeah. so. there you go. There, yeah. They get. They said they gotta wait till it gets a little warm outside. I hear it because I. That's the. I applaud like football players and lacrosse and soccer and stuff because if it's not if it's cold outside, I don't know how I'm functioning. So I'm just like. Mm. I agree with you. Yeah, I'm just gonna stand on the sideline. Even <laughs> like, the softball and baseball players in the spring, they're yeah. playing, they're practicing anyway out there. Yeah, yeah. That's why and they I'm all just go like, south. I feel like I would like freeze up. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I don't know. Like, even when I did dance for football, like I don't get me wrong, I loved it. I love being on the sidelines. 
But it was times where it was freezing. I was like, if we cannot, if we just need to get off this field. Yeah. And then when it was time for us to warm up, to get to the, you know, to before we perform, our coach was like, okay, it's, it's time to take off your warm-ups. And we were like, uh, like I don't know. <laughs> She's like, you just got to do it now so you guys, your body temperature can adjust to the temperature outside and you'll be all set when it when it's time to perform so we was just sitting there and was like oh god oh god so the process of us like they were like they're probably looking on the sidelines like what the hell is wrong with them but like listen it was it was cold it was freezing yeah. and like the football players are just like yeah woo, you know <laughs> and we're over here like you know freezing in our tights and our like shorts you know like it, it was cold but it was it was always fun like after you know the adrenaline rush will get to you but then it will die down and then you freeze it right. again so <laughs> but i applaud them i'm like i don't know how you guys are playing but again i'm out here dancing so i don't know how i'm dancing either but i'm making it barely but i'm making it yeah. so but then you quit too you stopped doing it. yeah i did i stopped yeah okay so it wasn't because of the weather partially maybe but it was just like yeah i didn't have the time so i was like you know i can't freeze my butt off anymore so i left <laughs> i still support but i i have my blanket with me now you yeah. know my gloves my 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 um hot chocolate you know i don't have to you know that's how i watch football too. yeah yeah i i was like the last game that I went to, I was bundled up because I was not for homecoming. Homecoming wasn't so bad, but it got colder um, mm-hmm. later on. So, yeah, I got my blanket. I was prepared because I mm-hmm. said, no, I'm not going to be out here freezing. I love football, but I'm not going to freeze for it. So, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I always have to come prepared. <laughs> So, um, okay, so another event that's happening this week, um, February the 23rd, WCSU Jazz um, Combo. So I guess performers from um, the jazz, um, I don't know, I don't, it's not jazz class, it's, it's just yeah, the, uh, jazz students, students who study jazz, jazz yes, <laughs> are performing. Um, and I know I spoke to one of my, my old roommates, she's a music major, she wants to become a music teacher, and I know like... Um, theater altogether that whole department they have a rigorous schedule and she was just breaking it down to me um about how much they have and so i know performances like this are very important to them because this is also their time to showcase what they've been working on mm-hmm. and also a, a practice time as well they love feedback and they love to hear how, you know how they're doing um and it's just a good way to kind of get over their fear of performing if they have it or just you know to just get equipped to doing it so i know like yeah, and it's 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 free music, so right. you know, it's always nice. Yeah, it's really high quality music, and it's nice to exactly. have more than just the parents and siblings in the audience. Right, right, too. right. And as students here, we have to really appreciate that we have one of the top um, music departments mm-hmm. here in Connecticut. You know, so we need to really take advantage of that and really recognize, like you know, we hold that standard and um, really appreciate the students that are in that program. Um, keep keep doing it because uh, your schedules, I know. Um, they weren't they weren't even able to like fully participate in the homecoming activities because they had classes and right. study and stuff like that. It's really a dedication. So applaud to them. Yeah. So um, as much support as I can give to them, I will. So, yeah, come make sure you come on out February 23rd to the WCSU um, Jazz Ensemble. And does it say what time it is? Um, let me see. See, I think. Let's see. Do we put the time? Yes. It says 3 p.m. and it's in the VPAC building and that's mm. located on West Side. I love the VPAC building. It's so nice. It's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I have no reason to go in there. But it's it's nice because I'm not a performing artist or anything. But um, I had a class in there freshman year and it was I liked it. It was mm-hmm. it was a really nice building. So um, yeah, go out there and, and see and hear some jazz. And you can go more often if you visit some of these jazz performances. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. <laughs> I need to go. Yeah, in the plays as well. Um, I know yeah. there's a couple of plays coming up. I know they're working on one now um, that I can go to because uh, Alex he actually works um, in the 
ICA office and he's a theater major so mm. he tells us all the plays that's coming up and everything that's going on so we kind of got the inside scoop um, so yeah <laughs> so it's a really nice building and I really and uh, the statues like the it seems like every time I go over there though they're like different I feel like <laughs> they they're did move facing them a few times, yeah so. I feel like they're like they I don't like they face a different way and then like I'm like I could have sworn this one was over there posing this way but like there's really nice statues like in front of yeah. the building um, I don't really know how to describe them but they're like enlarged people but like um, just posing different way in the lawn. So, yeah. <laughs> you can go back and listen to last week's podcast mm-hmm. because that we interviewed the uh, sculptor who really? made those. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, they went here? Or? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. No, I didn't know they that. didn't go here, no. but they hired her to do those sculptures. To do those. Oh, I didn't see. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Wow. I like them, though. I think they're very, like, relaxing. And then, like, especially when you're, you can see them when you're eating. Um, yeah. Uh, on West Side, you can see them through the window, so it's really nice. Yeah, but they trick me. They play mind games with me because I'm like, I, I know I just came here. I know they was turned a different way, but maybe I'm just going crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that's what she says. It's she like night it. at the museum. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like they got. They must, you know, come alive at night. I, I do feel that way because I'm just like I swore this was faced a different way. It was different structure, but I like them. I think they're very nice because when they popped up, I was like, oh, you know, what's that? Like, what the heck is going on? But they're nice. I think they add to the scenery, especially for the VPAC building um, because that's performing arts and everything. It just makes sense for it to be like yeah. there and. And I think it really just shows, like, the artisticness of, like, WCSU. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So just to back up a second, mm-hmm. when you told me once that you listened to all the podcasts, were you lying? or I didn't listen to last week, so I didn't listen to that one. No, all the I don't, podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, okay. I listened to most of them. Oh, okay. There we are. But, yeah. <laughs> listen, I'm busy. The truth I'm busy. comes out. <laughs> yeah. You can listen to them while you're driving down to Bridgeport That's for true. your internship. That's true. Yeah. That's what true. do you do when you drive down to Bridgeport? Just listen to my music. Mm. Yeah. Try to get there as safely as possible. <laughs> yeah. Podcasts are good for that. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I know. Maybe I'll listen switch it Listen to one on music. last week's On the Way Down and this one On the Way Back. True. That's true. She's not going to do it, Pete. No. It doesn't sound I'll think about it. No, I'm going to think about it. I'm not going to say I'm completely going to do it, but I'm going to think, think about, about it. it. I'm going to give it thoughts. Oh, <laughs> but I just enjoy my music. It just gets me there faster, uh, I feel like. You know, it gets me in the zone for the day. Yep. <laughs> so, but I'll, I will definitely take that into consideration. <laughs> At least I'll be honest, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's good. You're right. Because we catch you otherwise. I know. <laughs> just like this time. <laughs> I guess that's true, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I... Yeah, I enjoyed that. So I think, um, yeah, I think those are important, like, assets. And we have, like, a lot of different, like, artistic structures around the school. Mm-hmm. Like, if you really take a step back and see, like, we have a couple of, like, pictures. Um, I'm trying to think. In the science building on Midtown, there's a couple. And if you go inside, there's, like, that whole thing from hanging from the ceiling mm-hmm. that I think they say look like a is is the eyeball right right if you're looking yeah so there's a lot of different like little just little gems within wcsu so Mm -hmm. yeah it is cool (laughs) yeah if you pay attention to it, (laughs) right like sometimes you got to take the step back and be like oh because you just be heading to class like straight you know where you need to go so sometimes you don't you don't notice it but those structures i mean those those people are kind of like in your face so it's kind of hard they are right (laughs) they don't have clothes on so Tracks your attention yeah, right away. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. Good. Are we good with events then? Yes, and I'll have some more next week, of course. Yeah. Yep, come and keep on going. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Chantel. Thank you. Thank you, Pete, for everything you did today. Give my regards to Scott 
the producer as well. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> you can download all the episodes of this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and anywhere you go for your podcasts. Please listen every week and feel free to leave a review. You can also email a comment to podcasts at wcsu.edu, and we will read some of them during a show. So that's all for today, everyone. For Chantel Williams, I'm Paul Steinmetz, and this is at WCSU. See you next week. <laughs>